give us this day our daily bread. That's our line today. And I was reading an article this week. It's really interesting. About I was just, by the way, my delay was I was deciding whether to start here. And I'm going to go ahead and start here. So off we go. In 2012, there was a court case decided in Delaware where a city council was, uh, was being whatever, sued, for saying the Lord's Prayer before all of their council meetings. And so this was brought before, you know, was this an intrusion of church and state? And I know some of you are awkward and think I'm about to get political. But what's interesting about this is that the argument by the defendants, by those who are trying to defend the use of the Lord's Prayer at a city council, I mean, or at a, I think it was a county council meeting, was that the prayer had no explicit Christian content in it. That it was, in fact, a kind of religionless prayer. That it was a secular prayer. If you think about it, there's some things that surely some, many worldviews would argue with. But it, it is, on the face of it, a fairly benign prayer that most people can pray. There's no mention, for instance, of Jesus in it. There's no mention of salvation. There's no mention of the cross, of the resurrection. And this was the argument of the defendants. And while a crafty argument, uh, it is so utterly and completely wrong. <laughs> um, it is profoundly mistaken in understanding what the Lord's Prayer is. But it has struck me that one of the things that I would hope that all of us would take from this specific series is that the Lord's Prayer has a simplicity about it where right, it can be on the lips of a child. And a child is, is probably going to catch most of the meaning in it. But there's also this depth to it that is so uniquely and distinctly rooted in the biblical story, in the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done in the world and what his intentions are, that I hope that from now on when you pray it, you would never for one second believe that this is a prayer that could be uh, so kind of hollowed out as they were arguing it can be hollowed out. And we've been working through that over even these first couple lines, our Father who art in heaven, right? To call God Father is a distinctly Christian posture because of what Jesus has done, uniquely the Son of God, in allowing us to be adopted into the family. We can now have the audacity to address God in the specific way of Father. Right? Even our understanding of who art in heaven and what that means. And I won't re-preach every single sermon, but I hope by now you're getting this sense that, right, even hallowed be thy name, which sounds like a thing that you would say about any God. No, there's a specific way that the biblical story says that the hallowing of creator God, of Yahweh, of the one who sent Jesus, is God's ultimate intention in the world. And then last week, looking at thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that the coming of the kingdom of God is something that literally jumps out at us from the first page of the Bible and is the concluding scene of the Bible. And therefore, to pray that as though it doesn't come out of a very specific worldview, a very specific story, the story that the scriptures say is, is the meta story of all of the cosmos is to do something to the Lord's Prayer that we uh, as as followers of Jesus, those of us who, who would claim that title, um, let it never be said of the Lord's Prayer that it is that shallow, that it is that universal, that it is that um, transferable. No, 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 this is something that the Lord, right, and there we're talking about Jesus, that Jesus himself, um, right, it's called the Lord's Prayer. It's something that he possesses. He taught us 
to pray it. And as we've been saying again and again, that this is a prayer that Jesus first enacted and embodied before he taught us to pray it. It is the Lord's Prayer. The particular line we're looking at today, give us this day our daily bread, I think is a beautiful example of both the simplicity of this prayer, but the unbelievable depth of it as well. Because if I were to ask someone, you know, random person on the street, what does it mean, you know, Christians pray, give us this day our daily bread, what do you think that they mean by that? I bet the vast majority of people would catch some of the meaning of that. It's pretty obvious. It's, we can't live without bread. So you're asking the creator God to provide something that you can't live without. And that is absolutely part of what's going on here. That is a level at which we are to understand this line, give us this day our daily bread. And yet as we work through here this morning, I hope that you will begin to appreciate the multi-layered aspect of this request, which just speaks to the multi-layered um, dimension, the multi-dimensional depth of this prayer overall. One scholar, uh, Daryl Johnson, great New Testament scholar, really helpfully, and, and I'm going to kind of run with, with, his, uh, with his articulation of the layers here, and, and many scholars uh, do it in various ways, but but I appreciate how he puts it together. And, and so uh, I'm going to tell you five layers of meaning that we can kind of plumb from this, from this line. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, so five things. First, I've already mentioned, which is the one uh, that probably most of us would be most inclined to point out, which is this is a request for physical food. Give us this day our daily bread. At some point, uh, the scriptures mean what they say in the most simple way that you can understand it. Human beings can't live without bread. Therefore, uh, we are called to see God as the provider of the very breath in our lungs of any provision that comes to us. And here, specifically, that is called bread. This is something that, especially in the ancient world, we don't think as much maybe. Um, right? I have a couple gluten-free people in my house, so bread isn't quite the, the essential ingredient in our diet, many of you probably the same, but in the ancient world, right, bread would have been kind of the essential food that would, that would provide life, that would provide sustenance to people. That's one layer of what's going on here. Another layer is uh, this is a request for all things necessary for life. And so this is an acknowledgement that every single thing we need to live, breath in our lungs and shelter over our heads and not only bread, but water and relationships and all of the things necessary for, for life to be sustained. We are acknowledging that it is God from whom we get those. Give us this day. Our daily bread is to say, give us everything we need to live and breathe on this day. Third layer of meaning is uh, specifically asking for, and this we get a little bit more to the kind of symbolic meaning of bread, everything that we specifically need to live faithfully as members of God's kingdom. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, give us specifically what we need to be faithful to you today. This acknowledges the, the, this line's placement in the overall prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need in order to embody what we've just prayed. And so along with the, the physical needs that we have, 
We're also praying for that God would give us um, virtue, that God would give us patience, that God would, would give us um, a sense of his nearness, that God would give us loving community that would encourage and challenge us, that God would, would give us uh, time and focus to pray, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Let us be people who are actually sustained at a spiritual level and not merely a survival physical level. Fourth level gets into a little bit more of the, uh, of the even deeper symbolism of this. And this is where I kind of want to take us now is Jesus was a, um, was a first century Jewish man well steeped in the scriptures of that particular people. And he's probably teaching this prayer to a largely Jewish audience. And if you're uh, particularly um, of, of that ethnic religious, social background, when you hear, give us this day our daily bread, you are th- you, your mind would automatically go to a very specific scene, to a very specific aspect of your people's story. What, what part of the story, maybe some of you uh, steeped in the scriptures uh, are thinking this, what part of the story might give us this day our daily bread bring up? Yeah, the manna. Good, good. Um, the, the story where God has rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. I invoke once again Prince of Egypt as some of your biblical background, which is wonderfully sufficient for today, um, is he has rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. He is now moving them toward promised land, and in the midst of the wilderness, the following story occurs. So this is Exodus 16. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you, but if you want to follow along, isn't that cool? Um, I like this little setup thing. Uh, so they, that's, that's the, the people uh, of, of God, that's, that's those that God is rescuing out of Egypt. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Nice name for a place. Which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt and the whole congregation, of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Why would that be? Why twice as much? Yeah, good. They're preparing for Sabbath. Nice. I'm following along. Blesses my heart. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? This is Moses saying like, you're not grumbling against me. This ain't about me. This is about you and God. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against, there it is explicitly. It's not against us, 
but against the Lord. I'll stop the story there. We could read this entire very long chapter, but what happens is exactly what Moses says will happen. Well, more specifically, what God says will happen, which is that as the people are journeying in the wilderness, and this goes on for 40 years, this is, this is the deal, is that bread falls from heaven. Uh, it seems like probably the, the bread comes in the morning. They're to gather it up, and then they have enough for that day. God explicitly says, if you gather too much, if you say, well, it'd be nice to have some to know that we're good for not just Monday, but Tuesday and Wednesday. If you gather too much, guess what it does? It spoils. It, it rots. It's really a fascinating thing. It's literally daily bread. It's literally enough bread for your household for today. One of the cool things that this says is that those who, who took a lot had exactly what they needed. Those who took very little had exactly what they needed. It's like a very interesting line. It's like whatever you take is, is sufficient. It's, it's sufficiency for that day. Why Now, some of, some of our Bible scholars in our midst cried out manna as the thing. And that's what this ends up being called. Fascinating part of the story is that, does anybody know what the word manna means? Yeah, what is it? That's not me asking again. That's literally what it's called. It's, that's what it means. Manna means what is it? It's Hebrew for what is it? So the people go out. You got a picture. People go out on the first day, and they're like, okay, we have this great promise from God. Here comes red from heaven. They go out, and guess what they all say? What is, what is this? Like, what is it? And it's, and it's interesting because even in the translation, it, like, really struggles to describe what it was. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like ciabatta from heaven or, you know, like a nice sourdough or something from heaven. Um, God has his little, what's that thing that they use? The little germy bacteria nasty thing? Yeah, 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 your little starter or whatever. Anyway, that's not what God does. Um, it, it's, it's this like flaky white stuff, but it's sufficient and it's exactly what they need and it fills them and has the nutrients that they need. But you can imagine every day they go out and they're like, what is this? what is this? And they collect and they bring it home and the kids are like, oh no, it's what is this again? You know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it is. And, and the people you can imagine, right, they grumble about this. In spite of the fact that one, God's provision of it was a response to their original grumbling and hunger. By the way, do you notice the irony of what they say there? They say, oh, that we were back in Egypt by the meat pots and the, I forget the, the other thing that they say. The meat pots and the bread, the, the sourdough, right? Like, oh, that we were back in Egypt. But yeah, thank you. That's, what was back in Egypt? They were, in, they were an enslaved people. Now they're brought out and they say, oh, the meat pots and the bread, right? They're forgetting the circumstances out of which God has brought them. And the hunger that they're feeling is causing them to doubt the goodness of God. And then even when he provides exactly what they need in exactly the right portion, in exactly the, the, the right type of provision, they find themselves grumbling again. And this is where I'm like, wow, they're so different than us. Right? <laughs> right? Isn't it just, uh, this is where the scriptures, they, they have a way, even, even if you're not a person of faith, they have this way of articulating just the way the human machine works that is so unbelievably compelling. Of course, what God is doing here is, is he is he's doing what, what we see him do again and again. And if you've walked 
as a person of faith. If you walked in relationship with Jesus for any amount of time, I think that there is so a dynamic here that resonates, which is the provision of God is somehow always sufficient, never quite enough for us, and yet, and yet sustaining. <laughs> why does God do it that way? Why doesn't, why doesn't he just, right? Like sometimes I, I'm just so jealous of the prosperity preachers, if I can be totally honest, because I would love to get up here every Sunday and just be like, God is about to shower on you more than you can handle, right? Like, and then like, peace out. I don't know how you do that week after week, because then you got to stare people in the face who are not having blessings showered out on them. And yes, that is shade being thrown on the prosperity gospel. I don't mind that. Because it's false. It's a false gospel. Because what it actually feels like to walk in faith is to get up every day and go, here we go again. Give us this day our daily bread. And then to feel the awkwardness of, what is this? What is this? This is it? Sort of. And then, and then guess what? It gets you through the day. Then you wake up the next day and you go, give us this day our daily bread. He provides it. And you go, man, what is this? And then you look over a year five years, 20 years, and you go, that's exactly what I needed. Right? He is drawing out what we want, right? Like what we want so badly is we want sufficient for today and the next six months and the next three years and be really nice to know that I'm okay 30 years from now. Right? And yet this prayer calls us to daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because God's greatest agenda in our lives is different than our greatest agenda. Our agenda is safety, security, prosperity, happiness. God's agenda is dependence, humility. At times, to, to break us down so that he can build us back up, we see it right here in this story that every single original person hearing this would say, oh no, we have to pray like the people of God lived in the wilderness? To pray, give us this day our daily bread is to really believe that God is the one who gives us sufficiency. It's to, it's to pray for nothing less than him. It's to, pray, it's to pray that he would be with us. The thing, it's so interesting. Every time the people of God grumble in the wilderness, practically, that's, that's probably an overstatement, but more often than not, when the people of God grumble in the wilderness, what they're saying is, God, we need more. And you know what God's response always is? I am with you. Therefore, you have exactly what you need. That is a truth that God, I suspect, right? And I'm not some old sage, I suspect that God spends a lifetime trying to get that reality deeper and deeper into our lives. God, I need more. No, I'm with you. That's enough. God, I want more. No, I'm here. I'm near. I'm with you. That is enough. One other uh, level uh, that this prayer works at um, is, is to speak of, uh, what are we at? Who's, who's following along? What number are we at? is to speak of the fact that uh, what's out ahead of us 
is so often uh, the kingdom coming in its fullest. Remember we talked about this last week? This, this is where you got to understand kind of the prayer overall. Is We said that heaven and earth have this overlap in Jesus. And amazingly, it has this overlap in us when we're incorporated into Jesus, when we're brought into relationship with him. But one day, those two things, heaven and earth, will completely overlap. Another way to say that is one day the kingdom of God will be here in its fullness. One day what was true about Jesus in the resurrection, the overcoming of sin and death, will spread to the four corners of the universe. And we will be in a renewed heavens and earth. The kingdom, again, come in its fullness. And the image that is used for that reality again and again in scriptures, uh, if you're with us a long time ago in, in the when we walk through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah goes to this a lot of times. And then it's especially there in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, which gives us a picture of what that renewed heavens and earth will look like. And the image that, that both of those go to again and again is that of a feast, a giant feast, what's called in Revelation the marriage supper of the Lamb. It, it views the coming together of heaven and earth as like a, a bride and groom coming together. It views uh, Jesus coming and, and uniting himself fully and completely to the church as a bride and groom coming together. And then the reception, in our way of thinking of it, is this giant, unbelievable celebration party feast. You hear this in the parables of Jesus again and again. Is, is he talks about the kingdom being like a feast. And he says, this is a feast that... Uh, if you're invited to it, you should show up because he tells a story where people are invited to a feast and the people who should be there don't show up. And he says, fine, then go out and invite the least, the last, and the lowly and bring them in and they'll get to eat at my table. A little something about the distinctiveness of this feast. But again, to pray with that image in mind, to pray, give us this day our daily bread is also to pray in the midst of this wilderness experience God, give us a little taste of what's out ahead of us. That might be the deepest level at which this line works. It's to speak of bread. It's to speak of heaven coming down as bread for those of us who, because of Jesus, have the full picture of where this story is headed. We can have the audacity to say, in order to get through today, I need a little taste. I need a little reminder. I need a little something of what's out ahead of me. I need to be reminded what my ultimate hope is in. Give me that today. Let me taste of that bread today. My favorite kind of interpretation of that is a, is a, is a yes to both of those. Is it, is it sufficiency for the present moment? Is it that which is out ahead of us? Now here, I'm going to rely on, on those of you who were really listening closely last week. Is last week, I introduced you to the term inaugurated eschatology. Say that, inaugurated eschatology. Good. I won't ask anyone what it means, but I'll tell you what it means. Inaugurated eschatology is the idea. Eschatology is this very fancy theology word that talks about that, that last chapter, what's coming ultimately at the end. The, the coming together of heaven and earth, the restored cosmos, that part is, is the study of that is eschatology, ology, theology is the study of God, Christology is the study of Christ, eschat, eschaton is that part, eschatology is the study of that last part. Inaugurated eschatology is the idea that that has already started in real time and space, that that reality has burst into present reality in some sense, that there is this overlapping 
of this present age and what's to come. It's been inaugurated, right? Like when a, when a president is voted president, they're inaugurated, but it takes years for their actual agenda, for their administration to have its full impact. That's why inaugurated, inaugurated eschatology. You would, you would make this preacher teacher so happy is if the only thing that you ever take is you're like, well, I know what inaugurated eschatology is. It's such an important word to understand what the scriptures are saying. Here's what N.T. Wright, probably my very favorite New Testament scholar, says. He says, manna was not needed in Egypt. And he, of course, he's talking about this story back in Exodus 16. Nor would it be needed in the promised land. It is the food of inaugurated eschatology the food that is needed because the kingdom has already broken in and because it is not yet consummated. The daily provision of manna signals that the exodus has begun, but also that we are not yet living in the land. I love that. This is why we pray for manna, is because we live in the wilderness. We have been freed and rescued from Egypt. We are no longer enslaved to that which we were enslaved to, namely sin and death. And yet we are not yet enjoying the full provision and realities of promised land. Does this remind anyone of a seven-month series that we just did on the book of Hebrews where every Sunday I stood up here and said the overriding image that Hebrews is getting at is this idea of journeying through the wilderness, that we have been freed, that Christ has done something definitive to free us to actually move us into a new family, a new identity, a new relationship with God. And yet, Hebrews was so honest about the fact that we are not yet in promised land. This is why suffering, this is why the reality of what is this is so pervasive to us. And why, again, the, the idea of prosperity gospel, that whatever you ask for, whatever you think you need is exactly what God will give, is so false is because that's to say that heaven has already come fully to earth. It's to say that not just is it inaugurated eschatology, we're there, baby, and the blessings of promised land are going to flow down. No, no, no. They're going to come down from heaven like flaky white things on the ground. We're going to say, what is that? But it's going to get us through the day. That's what we live. That's what we pray for. That's actually reality. <laughs> Right? Like, this is what you have to appreciate about Jesus, about the New Testament. It's not feeding you a bill of goods. Don't you love it that he doesn't say, oh, and then after you pray all that really beautiful theological stuff, just go hog wild, ask for whatever you want. No, no, no. This, this, just like every other part of this prayer, this resets the agenda. It's meant to reprioritize it. It doesn't mean you can't ask for what you think you need. Right? There's permission in this prayer. But praying, give us this day our daily bread, with this depth of understanding, with this kind of reflection, it's got to mess with what we bring with us into prayer, into what we ask of God. It's going to reset things, I'm telling you. The last uh, thing that, that I would be remiss not to say is that to pray, give us this day our daily bread, is most assuredly to think of Jesus himself. I mean, I have a section. If you go to John chapter 6, I'm 
And if you start at verse 22, if you're in a physical Bible or you're scrolling on your phone, what's the title of this section? Yeah, a little giveaway, uh, or a little, you know, preview for you. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat. I'll kind of skip ahead. Uh, where should I go to? Go to verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Ah, calling on that story. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Yeah, that's a big claim. Um, right? This is the stuff that got Jesus in trouble. He's like, hey, that whole story about manna in the wilderness, yeah, that was about me. That was to help you understand what God is doing through me. You get the offense of that, right? Like, we're like, yeah, but it was Jesus. Yeah, to them, it's like a guy. It's just a, a guy who's like, yeah, that whole thing is about me. What's he getting at there? Here's what he's saying. Is he saying, yes, in, in, in this one particular story, that this one particular group of people were wandering in this very um, treacherous place, uh, very unsure of their future? Yeah, God provided exactly what they needed sufficiently for them. Jesus says that is, that is microcosmically, that is but a, a small um, instance of a much larger reality that it was pointing to, which is exactly with that manna, what God was doing in that very sp specific set of circumstances is what God is intending to do for all people through me. There is a sense in which we are all journeying through wilderness, by being part of this broken world, by inhabiting these broken, sinful, rebellious bodies. And in the midst of it, whether we realize it or not, there is a cry of our soul that says, I am going to die out here in hunger. That is a deep spiritual reality that we all share. It is all around us evident. The exhaustion of every single error, right? Like we act like the problems of our error are so completely and utterly unique. Oh no, the internet. It's like, you know, people didn't have Walmart back in the day. You know, it's like the, every generation has its, its unbelievable tension with the realities of being in such a broken world. And into that, God says, I am sending exactly what you need the only thing that can truly provide, the only thing that can pr provide in the midst of and even beyond your physical hunger, who can provide, as Jesus has the audacity to say here, actually life beyond the broken realities of this world. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So how can we pray the prayer that he taught us to pray and say, give us this day our daily bread and not think that ultimately we're asking for nothing short of Jesus himself to be our provision on a given day? to cry out for him to be our ultimate priority, to be, for him to have first place 
in what we believe we need. Do you see how praying this again and again and again and again and again begins to reset us and say, no, 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 wait, wait, flesh, wait, Amazon wish list, wait, all of my anxieties and worries. What I actually need today more than anything is the bread of life because that's what God provided. And some days it feels like, what is this? What does it mean to have Jesus and nothing else? And then you look back over six months, five years and 30 years, you say, he, all along, he was the thing I needed most. Can we begin to pray and live in light of that reality? Can we learn that lesson sooner rather than later by being people of this prayer? I think that that's what this is pushing us toward. Let me give you three practical ways, I think, uh, living, right? We've said that uh, as we live, so we pray, and as we pray, so we live. That the Lord's Prayer is not just about resetting the specific words and contents of our prayers. It's meant to completely reset the agenda of our lives. Nothing short of that kind of program is this supposed to have, that kind of agenda is this supposed to have. Let me give you three ways I think that praying, give us this day, our daily bread, is meant to change how we live. One is um, what I would call solidarity with others, specifically those who hunger. Solidarity with others. Do you notice that even in the part of the prayer that sounds most personally specific, the pronouns are still plural? It's still, give us this day our daily bread. We can never forget the hour that begins this entire prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, right? And then we go through a bunch of you and your Thighs, right? Like you, you and your, and then suddenly we transition not to me and my, it's to, it's to our, us. Give us this day our daily bread. Why pray that in the privacy of your own prayer life? It's to set our eyes again away from our needs for a moment even, right? Again, not that we don't have permission to pray for our needs, but to maybe set them outward and to say, I think so often the thing that we miss about the life of prayer is that, um, you know, we say things like prayer isn't about changing God, it's about changing us. And one, that doesn't particularly hold up biblically because we definitely see prayer changing God. You just got to figure that out in your own little theological system. But like prayer does, it does seem like things change because people pray. That's a really hard thing theologically to figure out with a sovereign God, but uh I'll leave that to another time. But I, but I get what we're trying to say there is that prayer, right? I, I've been arguing for that even now is that prayer is meant to reset our priorities. But I also think that I would put a little bit more nuance than that and say that every time we pray, we should have a bit of an instinct, which is, God, is there a sense in which you're asking me to participate, there's our word, to participate in being the answer to the very prayer I'm praying? Is there a way in which you are asking me to be the answer to the prayer that I'm praying? So when I pray, give us this day our daily bread, is there someone who's part of my us that you would ask me to be their provision at whatever one of these levels, physically, spiritually, to encourage them, to point them to Jesus, at whatever level that might need to function, might you be asking me to fulfill that? I think that that's one thing that praying, give us 
this day, our daily bread is meant to say, God, is there anyone for whom I can be that answer? And particularly those in need. Like there is a, a, a solidarity. And speaking of the kingdom that we just prayed about, that kingdom come, thy will be done. And then Jesus says, you know who this kingdom belongs to by and large? Read the Beatitudes. Those who are in need, those who are hungering, those who are poor, those who are marginalized, those who are in pain, those who are mourning, right? Might I be sustenance for someone today? Might I take the risk of being like, what is this, right? Sending a text and someone saying, what is this? And then finding, oh, it's exactly what I needed to hear. Might I be the provision in the name of the bread of life? Might I be sustenance to someone today? Uh, I'll, let <laughs> I'll let John Calvin, the reformer, uh, do the convicting work here. Check out my man. This is, what, 500 years ago? He says, um, go, to, go to the one just before this, Pam. It's a two-parter. Is there a slide just before this one? No. Oh, we might have deleted it. Mm-hmm. Um... Well, you're not going to get convicted by John Calvin. John Calvin goes in on people for praying. Leave this up. I'll, I'll see if I, can, if I can cover the first half. Um, he basically goes in and he says that so many pray the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, while themselves internally knowing they're utterly dissatisfied with what they're actually asking for. He says, for they ask him what they do not wish to receive, indeed what they utterly abominate, namely merely daily bread, and as much as possible cover up before God their propensity to greed, while true prayer ought to pour out before him the whole mind itself and whatever lies hidden within. You know what he's getting at here? What he's saying is, if you pray, give us this day our daily bread, and meanwhile your heart is churning with greed, saying, what I actually want, what I... Uh, Pastor John Piper, one of the most convicting things I ever heard him say is that covetousness which is like universally condemned in the Bible. Covetousness is wanting something so much that you lose your joy in God. Covetousness is wanting something so much that you lose your joy in God. So now you go into prayer with covetousness going on in your heart. You're joyless as you go to God because you're like, I'd, I'd really be happy if I had this. And then you're like, give us this day our daily bread. John Calvin says, be careful. Because what just simply saying that in a rote way is to so utterly contradict your heart that, that, I mean, he calls it what he calls it. He says it's, it's an abomination, right? He says what we're supposed to do is bring all of that ugliness with us and allow the way that Jesus taught us to pray to utterly challenge and convict that. And so if you do go into prayer like that, what he's getting at here is don't not pray this. It's what Jesus taught you to pray, but you better take your time with this one. This is what I have found as I've been uh, imperfectly trying to pray the Lord's Prayer more often, is so often I get to this line and, and, it's, and it's just a gut punch. And it's just like, oh, this is so not what I, where I'm actually at. I'm so not in a place to ask for just whatever I need to get me through today and to be faithful to God today. Because I've got my list in my head, whatever that list is, that that's where joy would actually be found. I got those three or four things. If these three or four situations worked out, if these two or three things in whatever relationship worked out, then I'd be good to go. And here I stand going, yeah, I'll be good with the flaky stuff on the ground. Just get me through the day and help me to be faithful. 
This is where solidarity with others comes out, right? Always the answer to that is to not fight that internally and to somehow think we can clean ourselves up. It's to actually move outward in generosity and solidarity with others. It's actually to actively say, God, the way out of me being super focused on my needs is to actually focus on the needs of someone else. I think that that's why we have the our and us in this line, is for that solidarity. Next thing I'll say here is, is, you know, out of what Calvin said there, is to begin to develop a heart that lives daily, for lack of a better way to put it. One of the most interesting things about the teaching of Jesus is Jesus, uh, I was just saying this to someone in our church last week. We were talking about this person is thinking about their future and what they're going to do and blah, blah, blah. And it's so interesting that Jesus does, when he talks about anxiety and worry, which he's very down on, uh, not big on, on anxiety and worry. He says things like, sufficient for today are its own troubles, right? Like, what an interesting thing. He's like, oh, yeah, you have so much to worry about out ahead of you, right? Like, he doesn't say, like, sufficient, like, I'm, he says, like, eventually he gets there. But first thing he says is, sufficient for today, today are its own troubles. He's like, man, if you're going to try and figure out the stuff that's going to come tomorrow, the next day, three months, six months from now, yeah, you're going to feel crushed by it. What, what you need to do is, is focus on today. Right? Jesus has a little element of like a carpe diem in him. Um, maybe not seize the day, but like focus on today. And he goes to this again and again. One, one way that, that I think that this practically works out is I remember really early on in, in our marriage um, when, uh, yeah, just, just life was hard. Anybody's first couple years of marriage, really hard. Ours were really hard. And there's a lot going on. And there's a lot of heavy stuff that, that we were facing in, in that time particularly. And we would pray, you know, God, give us what we need. And finances were hard and all stuff. And finally, an, an older, wiser person kind of came to us and said, you know the prayer that we've learned to pray that we would commend to you, older couple, is they said, um, pray that God would give you enough light to take the next step. Because what we want is, is, is in, the, in the dark future of our lives, we want one of these giant spotlights to, to even just momentarily flick up and show us what's out ahead of us. And then we can, you know, either exhale or completely freak out and then kind of come back down, right? And yet what God promises is, no, 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 sufficiency for today. In other words, that light is, is really bright. It's probably just, just a foot in front of you. And he's saying, yeah, this is, this is the next step that I want you to take today. This is what faithfulness looks like today. Work with college for, for eight years and, um, and this was just so true is, is, you know, so many of them were hyper-focused on like, yeah, but if I'm going to be that when I'm 55, I've got to make sure, you know, my coursework today is what it needs. It's like, holy cow, it's not how life works, right? Like, and you know that if you've lived a little bit of life. And you know kind of the silliness of that anxiety, but it's so real in the moment. It's so real in the moment. And what you want to say and what I would say to students again and again is, just do what you feel like God is putting in front of you right now and be super faithful there, be super focused there. Ask him questions about, yeah, but God, what is it that I can do today, right? Like even the first part of that prayer, how can I be daily bread to someone today? How can I be faithful to what you've asked me to steward today? How can I connect with you more today and see you as the first priority of my life? And I think when we do that, when we ask for just enough light, God, shed that light on today, he says, yeah, this is what it looks like to walk in relationship with me. I know we all want some profound prophetic gifting that's able to like predict my life day by day. 
Do you know why he doesn't do that? It's the same reason he gave them manna. You don't want to know what's out ahead of you a year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, right? His sufficiency will meet you there. It's just not going to meet you now. You don't have the capacity to take all of that sufficiency now. It'll meet you when you need it. And so this prayer, I think, is meant to develop a more day-in and day-out faithfulness rather than this yearning for some kind of future security that we're never guaranteed. The last thing here is uh, a life of gratitude. I just want to read this from you from that same scholar, Daryl Johnson. Stumbled across, across this this week and just thought, man, that is really powerful. It says this. To pray this petition, give us this day our daily bread, calls us to a lifestyle of gratitude. Every time we take bread in our hands, we are handling an answered prayer. Do you realize that? This is what he says. Do I? Every piece of bread or bowl of rice or slice of cheese or bite of an apple is an answer to someone's prayer. I really love that. Not necessarily to your prayer. It's an answer to someone's prayer. Isn't it beautiful to know that when we consistently pray the Lord's Prayer and say, give us this day our daily bread, I can guarantee you at least part of the us that's meant there, right? like how wide is that us? absolutely positively part of the us is, is the family of God. And I think particularly the, the local family that you're a part of. And so you may not realize it, but there is someone praying, give us this day our daily bread, and maybe even unintentionally including you in that prayer. And then the sufficiency that you will find tomorrow is an answer to a prayer you may not realize has been prayed. Every time the crops come up is an answer to someone's prayer. Every time the food makes it from the farm to the store shelf, it is an answer to someone's prayer. The only appropriate response is thank you. Thank you, Father, for once again providing. Thank you, Father, for once again making your good earth work. Thank you for once again being faithful to your children. And then he says this. He kind of deepens it. He says, and also every time we see and hear the name and work of Jesus, we are seeing, hearing, experiencing answered prayer. For he is finally that without which we cannot live. And again, the only appropriate response is thank you. Thank you, Father, for so loving the world that you gave us your only son, the bread of life, that we should not perish but have everlasting life. So often we head into whatever prayer looks like in our lives. If it's a, if it's a daily, consistent uh, part of your day, if it's a haphazard part of in your car, sending something up in your head, so often what prayer looks like is a list of that which we believe we need. When I think that one of the things that give us this day our daily bread is meant to draw us to is actually to bring a laundry list of gratitude with us into prayer. Say, God, you have answered so many prayers that I didn't even realize were being prayed. You have answered so many prayers that I flung up in desperation, and you have answered prayers that I didn't know to pray. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I had someone challenge me in the midst of uh, all of the, the complexities and difficulty and heaviness of COVID. And they said, what if you, this came partially from us doing the spiritual discipleship course and, and the prayer of examine, and uh, if that means anything to you. And 
Someone challenged me, though, and said, what if you just kind of worked through your day and just thanked God for as many things as you could in the midst of the day? It was a time where I was feeling a lot of anxiety, where I was feeling sorry for myself, where there was a lot going on. I began to do this. And when I tell you it is so fundamentally, it's probably been the most powerful change that I've experienced in my relationship with God in a really long time. It's just starting and being like, oh, God, thank you that this morning, you know, my kid made me crack up before he went to school. Thank you that we had like a really fun staff meeting where we laughed together today. Thank you that, and, and I literally, and it is so much easier than I ever imagined it would be <laughs> to go through a day and to find things to be grateful for. And again, it's so changed my posture then to be like, God, you've given me so much. Because so often I go to God with a sense of total and complete lack. And I say, God, I've got nothing and I, I don't know where you've been, but here's what I need. And a heart of gratitude, which I don't have, which I hope I'm beginning to develop, heart of gratitude is so much better at noticing what I already have and going to God from a place of where I think this whole thing draws us, from a place of sufficiency, if not excess. Saying, God, you've already done so much today. You know what that also makes me? is it makes me more confident in what I do ask for. Because I remember that God is a good giver. And he's not, he's not tight with his blessing. It's just, I am so tight with my gratitude, right? And yet when we see it and we look around, we realize, man, there's so much. There's so much that we miss of his goodness in our lives. In a moment, uh, we're going to take communion and communion is, uh, guess what? It's bread, right? And so how can we pray? Give us this day our daily bread without also thinking of the fact that the means that Jesus gave us on a weekly basis as a community of communicating his sufficiency in our lives, of his salvation, of his grace, of his mercy toward us, of his ultimate sacrifice so that we could go free, of what lies out ahead of us. He says, take this bread, and it's a foretaste of what's to come. It's also a reminder of what I've done, right? How can we not eat today differently in saying that? But what I want to do is I just want to give you a little bit of time to respond to what we've said here um, and to give you an opportunity to pray uh, right here in, in the middle of our gathering. And so if you would, uh, just take out a piece of paper or grab your phone, go to your notes or whatever it is. Find, find some way to jot down or you can do this in your head if, if you're inclined to do that. I just want to want to challenge you to move through those three uh, kind of applications, let's call them, those, those three points, which is just to uh, whisper the prayer, Lord Jesus, give us this day our daily bread, and then to ask the question, God, is there any way in which you're asking me to be the answer to that prayer to someone in my life right now? Okay, that's your first question. Is there any way in which you're asking me to be the answer to this prayer in someone else's life? Second thing that I want you to do with give us this day our daily bread is uh, to just name maybe some ways in which you are not living in that everyday dependence on him. Maybe name some worry and anxiety you have, things, ways in which you realize, man, I, I, God, I'm asking you uh, not for <laughs> daily bread. I'm asking you for something other than, and just naming that to him even in kind of a spirit of confession. And the third thing that I'll invite you to do, and I'll, I'll give you, you know, four or five minutes to do this. Last thing that I'd invite you to do uh, 
is to express gratitude to God. Maybe that's something you've done very recently and very comprehensively. Maybe it's something you haven't done in, in a long, long time. Uh, I would suggest maybe just go through yesterday. Just work your way through yesterday and just say, where, where was the goodness of God evident in my life? Where am I, I have missed it? Okay? Get those three movements. Now, I'm not going to lead you through each of those. I'm just going to give you four or five minutes to, to kind of do that yourself. Uh, and then I'll, I'll take us through communion.